0: Generosity. What is it? Is it when you give money to those in need? Donate your clothes to the Salvation Army? When you give to the church? Or can it be smaller? Simpler? Like visiting the father of your children in jail. Or shaving your head in solidarity with your friend in chemo. Or giving your coworker a ride to work. Or volunteering to look after your grandpa after his stroke in Florida. Where does generosity come from? From what does it overflow?
1: Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church, man. We're honored to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us from one of our four campuses or you're with us online, thank you for being here. Happy Easter, everybody, and thank you just for taking a slice of your holiday weekend and spending it with us here at Northridge Church. We are honored to have you here this morning. You know, my life changed ever since HGTV released the show Fixer Upper. I was this guy who, you know, every once in a while would love to tinker with some tools or, or do a project from, from year to year, but ever since this show came out, my wife has had what seems like a project almost every single weekend, and I have uh, a need for more and more tools. In fact, it, about three months ago, it, 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 it continued. You see, we were sitting in our, in our kitchen, we were just kind of looking and relaxing, and my wife looks over to me and she says, you know, Drew... Our, our kitchen just lacks character. It's just, it's just missing that, that, that something. And those words meant nothing to me other than like, oh no, how much work am I going to have to do in the recent future? And before you know it, I was standing on our kitchen countertops. I was removing upper cabinets and I was putting shiplap on the entire wall. Thank you, Joanna Gaines. Thank you. And so I have my air compressor out, my nail gun, and I've Purchased all this shiplap and I'm nailing it to the wall. The project's going nice and smooth. It feels great. It's starting to look good. And then we came to our tile backsplash, which I thought looked great. Why wouldn't we keep it, right? Right? Well, my wife had other plans, and so she wanted me to shiplap over this tile backsplash. The problem was is now my nail gun is insignificant. It's not going to nail into the tile, so I got to find glue that holds fast and is strong enough to hold the wood up, and so I went to Home Depot, and you know, I pretended like I was a real man who knew what he was doing, and I walked around in the glue section. I found this glue that supposedly dries in 30 seconds and holds like cement, and I thought, that's the stuff that I need. And so I bought two cans, and I get home, and I'm putting this glue on this long board of ship lap, I put it on and I grab it, and I push it up, I put it in perfect place, and I begin to press is with all that I have, and I start counting. One, two, three. And I don't count to 30 seconds. I count to a minute. because I said, the bottle says 30 seconds. I'm going to give it a minute just to be sure, and so I'm pressing with all my might, making sure this glue is sticking and holding, and I count to a minute, and I let go. I step back, and it works. Like, finally, a product that actually does what it says it's going to do. And so I turn around to grab the other piece of shiplap, and before I know it, I hear, (laughs) down goes the wood. I'm like, are you serious? Like, don't they make anything a little bit stronger? And maybe you've been there before in life, where you just kind of run up against circumstances or a moment in your life where you needed something stronger. You realized that you couldn't handle the situation, you couldn't fix the problem, and you needed something bigger, something greater, mightier, more powerful, or stronger. I think we all can relate to that because we've been there probably. And sometimes in life, you need something or someone stronger than you. We're all, we will all face that reality. In fact, it happened to a couple, a couple named Chris and Carly, where they faced circumstances that were bigger than them and they needed somebody stronger. Check this out.
2: I've always wanted to be a mother since I can remember. When Chris and I got married, children were just part of the equation for us. Immediately after we got married, we started not preventing pregnancy, and within a year, I ended up pregnant, and I had an early miscarriage, and then uh, my sisters were all having babies, and I was eager to try to have another baby, so I started um, trying to track when to try to get pregnant, Um, and then, I got pregnant again rather quickly, and uh, had another miscarriage. This miscarriage was a little bit more complicated. A while went by again, and we decided it was time to see fertility doctor. We were not aggressive with the fertility treatments until we kind of realized how old we were becoming. <laughs> so that's why we decided to do in vitro.
3: We found out we were pregnant and on cloud nine. I mean, we were. We've been. We tried for five years, so you can imagine we're. Super excited. It was Labor Day um, weekend and we went on a boat trip. We called it our baby moon because we knew it was the last time it was going to be just me and her. Came back from the baby moon, had a wonderful time and had uh, an appointment that Tuesday. went through my first trimester
2: screening and that went well. had the ultrasound, everything went well. Um, I went back to the doctors for my first OB appointment and she said, well, there's one more test we didn't do. Um, it was a blood test and it was not a big deal it was uh, something that would measure um, protein in my blood. About a week went by and it was a Thursday night and it was evening it was dark and I had a voicemail from my doctor on the phone and uh, I know enough to know that when your doctor calls you in the evening um, that that something's not right. We prayed to be pregnant and rather quickly, we were pregnant and then this. I, not in a million years, thought that we would have a baby with this level of health impairment.
1: And maybe you can relate to the beginning of Kristen Carly's story, because you've been there. Maybe it wasn't a baby, but it was a loss of a job or someone you loved, and you face circumstances, and as you looked at them, you realized, man, I I don't think I'm strong enough to make it through this. I'm not sure that I'm capable, that I have the capacity or the power or might to manage through this circumstance. And, you know, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series that we're finishing today called Overflow, where we're talking about that word generosity And I know when you hear those words in church, it scares you. You get tense. And I I just want you to to relax. We didn't trick you into coming on Easter so we could talk about money. But through this series, we've really been breaking that perception that the church is all about money, and we're, we're wanting our, our church and, and the people in our church to understand what God's word says, that it's better to give than it is to receive, and we've been kind of giving examples of that. It started in week one when we talked about where generosity comes from. It's this overflow of your heart, and we gave away a gift to those people in our country who have been generous. We gave a gift to our veterans, our active military in our first-time responders. And if you find yourself in that category and you weren't here for the first two weeks, we would be honored to give you a gift. We'd be honored to, to give you that gift. You can just go to, our, first time, or you can go to our, our guest services and we will give you that gift. It would be our honor to do that. And then we went to last week where we talked about how we practically can become generous people, how we become generous people. And we did something a little different in church. We did something a little wild and crazy. Every person last week who was in one of our seats at our four auditoriums, we gave them cash. What? Yeah, we gave away cash, and we wanted our church to be generous in our community. Some of you are like, man, I knew I should have went to church last week. (laughs) And then this week, it's Easter. And some of you might be asking the question, like, what in the world does generosity and Easter have in common? Like, Where are we going with this? But when we think about the Easter story, I mean, we're all here to celebrate Easter, and we have to understand that Easter begins with God's generosity. Easter begins with God being generous to us. It begins with God's generosity, and, and God wasn't just generous with his, 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 just something small. He was generous with his most valuable possession. In fact, we, we find this in one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Whether you've been coming to church for a long time, you grew up in church, or maybe you're new and you're just checking church out, you might have heard of this verse before. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. It reads this. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And right there it is, the greatest act of generosity on the planet. That God, out of the overflow of his love, he loved you and he loved me enough to give up his one and only son. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I read this verse, this question just pops into my head. I mean, I I wonder about this, like, especially because I'm a dad now, what kind of loving father gives up his child? I mean, that just doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't land. Maybe it's because I'm I'm a parent, I'm a father, I have two beautiful little girls and a son, and, and if we're just real for a moment, I'm not giving up my daughters, or my son for you? I'm just not. I don't mean that to sound harsh, but I think you feel the same way probably about me. Is, is You're not going to sacrifice your children on my behalf. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, what kind of dad is that? Hey, sorry, son, I love them so much that I'm willing to give you up. In fact, as parents, as grandparents, as Uncles and aunts, we do a lot to protect our children. Rightfully so, that's our job. I mean, we pray over our children for protection. God, keep them safe, watch over them. We spend so much time as parents protecting our kids from danger, but here, God claims to be a loving God, and yet he teased his son up for disaster. That doesn't make sense. What kind of loving father is that? Why would God do that? And we get a little glimpse into the answer in Romans 3.23. It says this, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have to understand that we are all sinners. We're, God's standard is perfection. And none of us measure up. None of us meet that standard. And maybe you would disagree with that. Like, I don't know, Drew, I'm not, I'm not a sinner. But the reality is in life, we feel the effects of sin every single day. We feel pain We deal with death and sadness. Those are all the the realities of sin, our disobedience to God. And whether you're the preacher today or you're sitting in one of our auditoriums, we're all in the same boat. We're all flawed. We've all been disobedient to God, whether we want to admit it or not. And our sin came with a price. It, it, It caused this chasm between us and God. It separated the relationship, a holy God, perfect and flawless, can't interact with sin. And so we have an issue here. I'm a sinner. God's holy. How in the world do we fix this problem? In Romans 6, 3, 20, 23, says it like this. It says, for the wages or the price of sin is death, not just physical death, but death spiritually separated for eternity away from a loving father. So let's go back to the original question. How can God claim to be loving and he would sacrifice his son? That doesn't make sense to us, but you have to realize that Jesus is the only solution to our issue, to our problem. He's the only option. He's the only one who could live a perfect and flawless life to pay our penalty on our behalf. Jesus is the only solution. And so on December 25th, we celebrate Jesus coming to earth. It's called Christmas, We love Christmas. It's the greatest gift ever given in Jesus. And 30 years later when Jesus came, he he began his public ministry. Jesus gets on the scene and he's going public with who he is as the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he goes public with his ministry, he begins to gain followers, 12 men, the disciples. They basically sell all their their, their lives behind. They put all their life behind, their businesses, and they commit. They put all their hope and all their trust and all their dreams into Jesus and they begin to follow him. And as Jesus begins his ministry, he does some things that ordinary people can't do. He begins to heal people, blind people who interact with Jesus now see paralyzed people begin to stand and walk. He raises somebody from the dead. He takes a happy meal and feeds 5,000 people. Jesus is doing things that ordinary people couldn't do. And guess what happens? He begins to get this following. People start believing in Jesus. People start hoping in Jesus. People start realizing, wow, Maybe this is the Son of God. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is what I've been waiting for all my life. And so they begin to place all their hope and all their trust and everything they have in Jesus. But then his life takes this unique turn. Just as Jesus is gaining this crowd who thinks he's coming to rule and reign and take over the Roman Empire, like, we're ready, Jesus. Let's do this now, Jesus. Let's take over. Let's bring heaven on earth right here. Jesus' life takes this crazy turn. It was something he told them about, but it didn't land. John chapter 19, it says this, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Gilgotha. There they crucified him. Now can you imagine this? Just imagine you're one of Jesus' disciples. You've left your business. You've walked away from your family to follow this guy. He claimed to be the Messiah and you believed him. You put all your chips In Jesus' court. I mean, you gave him everything that you had. All of his followers were at this place where they were ready for Jesus to rule and reign. All their hope was right there in Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they see him hanging on a cross and lying in a tomb. All their dreams, all their hope, just taken away. Just ripped right from them. Can you imagine that? You ever been there before? Were you dreamed of something? You hoped for something? And you were just right there. You could taste it. It was right in front of you. And all of a sudden, in a snap of a finger, it's gone. That's where the disciples were. Because with a dead Savior, hope was lost. All their hope and everything they dreamed for was gone. And Chris and Carly can definitely relate because they got the news they were pregnant. If you've ever faced that news, it's one of the most exciting news you can ever hear. We're going to have a baby. And you hope and you dream of the future of your child. But then with the doctor's words, all hope left. Check this out.
2: She said, well, there's one more test we didn't do. And she said, it's just for spina bifida. And we went in for the ultrasound. And the ultrasound tech got um, quiet. And she said, I, I just need to go see the doctor and just check on something. And he, the doctor walked in. I had never met him before. His whole demeanor, when he walked in the room, I knew something was wrong. Charlotte had a, they call it a neural tube defect. Otherwise known, or in this case, it was spina bifida for her, so that was the beginning of the diagnosis. so I got home and I told Chris, and that was probably the worst moment because um, you have to break somebody's heart
3: so that's when things went from you know some of the best feelings you can have possible to some of the worst and I was personally in when we got the diagnosis, it was probably in the worst place I could have ever been in, in my heart and my soul and my, and my mind, it was a dark, dark place. The spina bifida was obviously the first uh, um, diagnosis. Uh, so we were referred to uh, CHOP Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. Um, qualified for a uh, in utero um, surgery to close Charlotte's spine, um, which required us to move there for the foreseeable future. Uh, I'll never forget driving to Philadelphia. Petrified. Five hour drive. Carly and her mom are in the car behind me. I'm driving alone. with Every thought you could possibly because we know what's. What, I mean, Carly could have died on the operating table. The baby could have died on the operating table. You know, and it's just uh, roller coaster.
2: Ultimately, we are going to put our trust in um, these doctors who gave us hope, and even more so, we're going to put our hope and our trust in God that somehow this is going to work out okay. So we had surgery, things were going amazing. I was discharged with no hiccups, no problems, and we went back to our townhouse in Philadelphia where I was gonna spend the rest of my pregnancy on the most restricted bed rest.
3: Went in for a normal ultrasound. You have to go in every week, and they said they found that her amniotic fluid was low, so they suspected a leak on the incisions because they cut her uterus, fixed the baby, put it back in admitted carly right then and there you can't go home you need to stay here we need to monitor you very closely um went in for another ultrasound i think a couple days later and all of her amniotic fluid was gone at that point they realized it wasn't a leak
2: the doctor came in she sat down and she sat in front of me and she took a big deep breath and she said the baby's kidneys have stopped working her bladder's not filling anymore and the baby's anemic and i said this is bad and she said, yes, this is, this is bad. And I said, is she alive? And she said, yes, her heart's beating. Um, so is she going to stay alive? She explained to me that her kidneys had pretty much shriveled up. I mean, they, were, they, stopped. they didn't just stop growing. They like shriveled up like raisins, like they shrank. Of course, we're just sitting there because she doesn't know what to say. And I don't know what to say because, there's again, here we are again, uncertainty doubt, belief. I asked her, I said, is she gonna make it? And she said, I will not pretend to be God. And I will not tell you, but this is bad. This is very bad. Pretty much that was the moment that the doctor told me that Charlotte was not gonna make it, um, without really actually saying that Charlotte wasn't gonna make it.
3: Well, there's always that question of why. You know why why us? Why me? Why like we want this so bad. We've tried so hard for this. We've we've devoted ourselves to it. We've asked God to help us with this. We've asked friends to help us with this. We're finally here. We 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 have you know, we're pregnant. And then this so yeah, you, you ask why 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 what did we, what did I do to deserve this? What did Carly do? And um, ultimately what did Charlotte do to deserve this?
2: We met with the doctors the team of doctors, the best in the country that were shaking their heads saying, c- c- crying, saying, we're so sorry this happened, and we need to find out why, um, and they prepared us. Um, they prepared us for Charlotte, it was not to live. And we agreed actually to have an autopsy. Um, they asked us very, in a very kind way if they could have an, uh, do an autopsy on her because they wanted to know why this happened. We were prepared for, she- they told us she wasn't gonna make it. I mean, she wasn't gonna make it. And we had about nine weeks to get ready for that day. And that's what we did.
1: just when it seemed like it was hopeless for Charlotte, God wasn't finished. He wasn't finished writing her story. And we have the privilege of having Carly and Chris with us, and so can we welcome them to our stage at all of our campuses? And Carly and Chris, man, you guys have been on a wild ride, and it's Still going. I mean, Charlotte is still battling for her life, and uh, man, praise God that she's here this this morning. She's at the hospital. She's almost getting ready to maybe come home, and we're excited about that. Um, But you know, we're in this series called Overflow, where we're talking about generosity, and we want our church to experience what God's Word says, that it's better to give than receive. And so we believe that one of the greatest ways to be generous has nothing to do with money, but with prayer. And so we want to start there. We want to pray for you guys because the journey is, is still going, and we want to fight with you guys, with Charlotte, and we want to give you courage and strength. So I'm going to pray for them right now, and if you feel led, you can pray as well. Lord, thank you so much for Charlotte's story. Thank you how you're using it, God. And I think this is just the beginning. And God, thank you for what you're doing in Carly and Chris's life. Thank you that you're shaping them and you're molding them. And God, we pray that you give them strength when they don't have any. That you give them courage to keep fighting, to love Charlotte through the end, God. And we thank you for the fact that she is still here today. And we pray that you continue to be with the doctors and, and that they would continue to know which steps to take in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a couple things, and I know you guys don't know the full gamut of why you're here. Um, this is kind of a surprise, but again, we're in this series called Generosity, and we know that, man, it, it can be a toll on a family as you walk through watching your, your daughter go through all that stuff, and it can take a toll on a marriage. And so the first thing we want to do for you guys is, um, I have a, a card, and this is just a, a dinner and a movie for you guys to just make grandparents be with Charlotte, and you guys get a chance to just be a married couple again, just for a moment. And so that's for you. Um, secondly, man, we wanted to get something for Charlotte because she's a stinking fighter. Uh, I love that girl. Man, her fight is unbelievable. And so uh, we didn't know what to get her. She's, she hasn't had a, an ordinary life. Um, she's been in the hospital her entire life. And so we have some gift cards for you um, that you guys as parents can go and buy toys for her, for clothes for her, but we wanted to get something for Charlotte. And so that is for you. And then lastly, um, we know that medical debt can pile up really fast. And you were in the hospital for some of your pregnancy and Charlotte's been in the hospital for her entire life. And that can cause stress on a family. And so our church is committing to paying $10,000 of your medical debt. So we want you to know from Northridge Church that we love you guys and we are fighting with you. Can you all give it up for Carly and Chris? (laughs) You You know, the truth is today is... I think we've probably all been there without hope. And Carly and Chris were there. They thought they were going to give birth to a dead baby. And we can relate because there's been moments in our life where we face something that we couldn't fix. We couldn't solve the problem. And I want you to understand something this morning. Is that when all hope is lost, Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. Check out how Charlotte's story ended.
2: So, the day that Charlotte was supposed to be born, we were ready to meet Charlotte um, for as long as that might be. Minutes, hours, we had a photographer on standby who was there in the waiting room, waiting to hopefully get um, pictures of Charlotte um, for the few moments that she was gonna be alive, and then she was born. She was six pounds, two ounces, crying when she was born. Just as important, she was going to the bathroom peeing, <laughs> um, which were breathing and peeing were two things that she was not supposed to do. Doctors would say something and Charlotte would do the opposite. And, and, and they would, they just couldn't believe. I, one doctor said, if I wasn't taking care of Charlotte myself, I wouldn't believe what's happening with her lungs. What is happening with her lungs is remarkable. When I finally realized that Charlotte was really here to stay, was when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. And I know that sounds silly, but that is because it was the day before we flew out of Philadelphia. And I don't know how many people follow football, but the Philadelphia Eagles were not supposed to win the Super Bowl. And Charlotte was not supposed to be alive.
3: So now Charlotte's naturally a Philadelphia Eagles fan now. She was born there, they won the Super Bowl. I'm a Bill's fan, sorry Charlotte.
2: She, just like an eagle, flew right out of Philadelphia. And we flew into Strong, Golisano Children's Hospital. She has gotten stronger every day since we've been home to Rochester.
3: Charlotte is hope. You know, Charlotte is, uh, is here for a reason. It's been made very clear. I think Charlotte's going to do big things. I don't know what. Um, but, you know, I, I would say to sum it up in one word hope.
2: I don't know why God has chosen to give us Charlotte why he chose to keep her here, and why he's been so good and generous. But he has, and we are overflowing with joy.
1: Hope is a powerful thing. And Jesus' disciples, when he was dead, they lost it. They lost all hope. But they failed to Realized that God wasn't finished writing Jesus' story. This is what it says in Luke chapter 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of their Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. But in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, for he has risen. You see, the truth of Easter is that the grave couldn't hold Jesus. On the third day, he rose again. And so why is is that relevant 2,000 years later to our story? Because you have to understand that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for our sin. But when he rose again, he gave us victory over our sin. But here's where I think we get it a little bit wrong. See, all of us, we came to celebrate Easter, an event, right? I mean, we came to, 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 to experience Easter, which is the event of Jesus rising from the dead. But the problem with that is Easter isn't an event. The resurrection isn't an event. It's a person. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is what the Bible says in John. This is what Jesus says about himself. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked this question. Do you believe this? And really, that's our question. That's all of our questions. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that Jesus gives us life? Life that will last for forever, that he paid for our sin on the cross and he rose again. And here's where this plays out in our life. For some of us, we have tension with Charlotte's story. We want to be happy that that little girl is alive. But it's hard for us because that's not how our story ends. That's not how someone we love stories ended. Because we prayed and we sought after God and we hoped he would come through and he failed us. He let us down. Because the person I prayed for isn't here anymore. And so we want to be happy and excited, but there's this tension in our heart. God let me down. And this is the power of the resurrection for all of us that no matter the circumstance that we face, whether our story ends in success or in failure, the truth of the resurrection for every single individual, including myself, is that we can have hope. That we can have hope in the midst of failure and we can have hope in the midst of success. And I wanna show you why. You see, there was this boy boy had a father, and his father loved to tinker with the cars in their family household. And almost every weekend, his father was changing the oils of the family cars, and over the course of a couple months, he would take that oil, and he would put it into a pan just like this. And the father looked at his son, and he said, hey, stay away from this oil. Don't touch it. Leave it alone because it was dirty. It was disgusting. And so the boy knew he should stay away. And he did. Until that day, he didn't. You see, he was just kind of wandering around the garage until he saw that pan. And he walked by, but for some reason, he stopped. He stepped towards the pan, and he looked straight down, and he could see his reflection staring right back at him. His heart was beating faster and faster and he could hear his father's words, son, don't touch it. Stay away. He knew what he shouldn't do, but he did it anyway. So the son got down on one knee and he began to just put his hands in. It was smooth and ooey and gooey. It was awesome. (laughs) So the boy didn't think that that was enough. He wanted more. This was just a taste. And so he stuck his arms all the way in. And it was slimy and slick. It was every boy's dream. It was awesome. But then it wasn't awesome. Because when the boy lifted his hands up, he realized the mess he just created. Oh my word, what, my da- what is my dad going to think? I- I- I've got to clean this up. And so he tried to shake it off. Obviously that didn't work. So he tried to to wipe it off. That didn't work either. What am I going to do, the boy thought. So he tiptoed into his house, down the hallway into the half bath where he grabbed a rag that was entirely too small to do the job. But he tried to to wipe it off and he tried to clean the mess that he made in the bathroom and he tried to wipe as much as he could but he realized that no matter how hard or what he did to clean up the mess it just made things worse so the boy did what the only thing he knew to do he stood up and Dad, dad. He could hear his father's footsteps coming from the living room and into the hallway. And then his father opened that bathroom door, and his son, with a tear in his eyes, looked up at him shame, guilt. His father didn't say a word. He grabbed his son's hand and he guided him to the kitchen sink where he pulled out this orange-scented, sandy kind of soap. And his father, with a sponge, began to slowly, mechanically clean his son. He wiped away all the oil from his son's hands. The boy watched as every drop of oil disappeared down that sink. Sin makes a mess. It makes a mess of me. It makes a mess of you. It makes a mess of the people and the things that we try to use to clean and cover it up. Worst of all, it makes a mess of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the truth is, is no matter how hard we try to clean it up, we just end up making a bigger mess. Unless, unless we're given stronger stuff. And the good news is for all of us today, is that Jesus on the cross, laying his life down for us. And when he rose again, he not only paid for our sin, but he gave us victory over it. And the great news for all of us today is that God loved us like this. The Bible says that while you were still a sinner, filthy, dirty, Christ died for you. So all of us, we can have hope today, knowing that God was so generous to give up his son. Not to rule and to reign, but to be beaten and scorned and die for our mess. And today, no matter the circumstance, no matter how bad it gets, In life on this earth, God has made a way for you to have hope in the worst of circumstances because you hang on to the promise that one day you'll be with Him. So maybe you're here today and you feel like this without hope. I mean, you've had hope for seasons in life, but eventually it just comes back to that place where you feel empty and void. And today, I want to introduce you to hope because it's not found in something. It's found in someone and his name is Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity to place your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, we're not going to do anything crazy this morning. We're just going to give you an opportunity to tell your heavenly father who loves you, to place your hope and your trust. And maybe you're here today and you've been pushing God away. He's been revealing himself to you, but you've kept putting wall after wall after wall up and he has crashed every one of those walls down. He's pursued you and today is the moment, right now is the moment where you let go of your walls. You let go of all the things that you need and you say yes to hope. If that's you, would you say these words and just know that These specific words won't save you. It's your heart's cry. It's your faith. It's your belief. Would you just say this? God, I I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been disobedient. I know I've made a mess of my own life. And God, I pray that you'd forgive me. God, I pray that you would wash away my sin. God, I believe. With my whole heart, God, I believe that you came and you died and you paid for my sin and then you rose again three days later and you gave me victory over it. So today, April 1st, right now in this moment, God, I'm making you the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. May I leave here today different. In Jesus' name, amen.